Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. Now, on the face of it, Colin, Psalm 110 seems a little bit confusing. What's it all about? What do we learn about God from Psalm 110? Well, this actually is a very significant psalm. I'll use that word instead of wonderful. It is wonderful. But of course, it's a psalm that is quoted in the epistle to the Hebrews as referring very specifically to the high priestly role of Jesus. Now, let's, um, let's read what it says. The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Now, that, that's interesting because that's like the Father saying to Jesus. The Lord says to my... It's very prophetic, this psalm, see? The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Now, of course, that is exactly what is happening now. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. He is making his enemies a stool for his feet. And when Jesus comes again, all his enemies will be vanquished. Then the psalm continues, The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, that's exactly what's happening now. There are, the world is full of the enemies of Christ, but he is ruling and reigning in the midst of them. And we as the people of God are called to rule and reign in him. Your troops will be willing on, the day, on your day of battle, arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn. You will receive the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, what is all this about? Well, Melchizedek is one who appears in the Old Testament. He, we don't hear of him being born. We don't hear of him dying. So he is regarded as a type of Christ. It was, of course, to Melchizedek that... Um, Abraham gave the tithe when, when he met him. So he bowed down and worshipped him, realizing this was in some way a manifestation of God. So <clears throat> what is happening in the epistle to the Hebrews is there's the high priestly um, family uh, 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 that has continuity in Israel, um, but the high priest, you know, you know where he's born, and he, he dies. He's only a high priest for a certain period of limited period of time. And he is a sinner anyway, just like everybody else. And on the Day of Atonement, he has to make atonement for his own sins as well as the sins of the nation. Now, by contrast, there's Jesus who offers the sacrifice of his life on the cross as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He existed before he came to the world. He existed after he left the world. He is eternal. And um, his high priesthood is eternal. He has offered once for all time the eternal sacrifice that will never need to be repeated. So all, all the words of this psalm are, are sort of prophetic as to what God would accomplish through Jesus. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He would judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. He would drink from the brook besides the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. So the time will come when this great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, will come again. And as I've often said, that will be a time of great rejoicing for those who know and love him. But it will be a time of great judgment for those who have rejected him.
so an unusual psalm in one sense, then, as it is so prophetic. But David is a prophet. See, this is one of David's psalms. And so you would expect prophets to be prophetic <laughs> and sometimes to prophesy. And in, in several psalms, like in Psalm 22, there are several references to details about the cross. We saw that when we looked at that psalm. And that was another very prophetic psalm. And I suppose when we're looking for the clues about God's character, I suppose we can learn from this that God always tells us what is going to happen. He doesn't leave us in the dark about the future. No, and um, you think of the prophecy of Isaiah, which in chapter 53 has such a, not only a description of the cross, but of, of the meaning and significance of the cross. And it makes you realize that God planned all these things, you know, long, long, long before Jesus came. Um, here, here, here is this this prophetic word about really about Jesus being a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, hearing the Lord say, "Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet," um, and this is a thousand years before the coming of Christ. So we learn as well that God is a planner; He's working to a time scale. Absolutely, all the time, and uh, so we can we can just praise Him and and bless Him that. You know, he is in control. That, that's, that's the thing that, that I constantly say, thank you, Lord, that you are in control. That, that you, you know, you look at the world and you see the events of the world and sometimes the conflicts and the catastrophes and so on that are going on, and yet ultimately God is in control and knows exactly what is happening, knows exactly what he is doing. And some people, you know, find that difficult to accept. They think, well... You know, why does God allow these conflicts? Why does he allow people to be murdered and, and wars and all the rest of it? Well, you know, God has given us free will. It isn't that, that everything that happens is God's best purpose and intention um, because man misuses his free will. And there are many, many ways in which we seek to organize the world in our ways instead of trusting God so that his plans and purposes in the world can be outworked. But God never loses control of the situation. He always can move in uh, and does move in. It's as if there are certain times in history when God says, that's enough. You've gone far enough. You have deserted my will. You've gone against my word. You, you are no longer walking in my ways. That's enough. And sometimes there's a measure of judgment in what he does, but it's always to bring people back to the truth. You know, as, as we're recording this particular message, there's great conflict going on in, in Israel and Lebanon. And, uh, you know, you think, well, where is all this going to end? Well, at some point, God will move in and say, that's enough. And I'm already hearing of the way in which so many are turning to the Lord in the midst of the conflict. God will use any and every situation. He is the Redeemer. How much thought do you think we need to give the second coming of Jesus? Should it be something that almost preoccupies our thinking? Or is it something we can keep on the back burner? Is it something we think about enough or too much? Where do you stand on that? I don't think we need to focus on it. I think the people that focus on it get very unbalanced very quickly and often live in total unreality. Um, they don't address the present situation because they're always just looking for, for that moment when Jesus will return. Um, I think we're obviously to expect it, we're to believe it, we're to pray, come Lord Jesus. Um, 
But I don't think it should preoccupy us. It's there with something we believe in, something we know is going to happen in God's appointed time. I don't believe it's wise to prophesy when that will be because people have been doing that for the last 2,000 years and getting it wrong. Um, I think when the time is getting near for Jesus to come again, a lot of people will know, not just some odd stray prophet saying, I've got this wonderful revelation that Jesus is going to come again at X. Uh, no, I don't think it's going to happen that way at all. But those who will read the signs of the times, they will know it's about to happen. So that moves us on to the next psalm then. Psalm 111. Um, again, there's so much in this psalm about the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in him. Glorious and majestic are his deeds, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works, giving them the lands of other nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are steadfast forever and ever, done in faithfulness and uprightness. He provided redemption for his people. He ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. That's a good psalm, isn't it? Because it touches on so many subjects, different subjects, that we have spoken about as we've gone through the, these psalms. And yes, there's a lot of repetition in the psalms, but why is that? Because we need that repetition. We need to constantly get our focus back on the Lord. And I've, I've often said it, it's, it's a good practice to read a psalm a day and, and just to get into this God focus on your life. What about this little verse here, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom? That's just tucked in there, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, there are great, wonderful nuggets. Um, uh, you know, like when we were seeing in, in the psalm the, the other day, you know, the Lord sent forth his word and healed them. And you can just take that word and live with that in all kinds of circumstances without uh, necessarily focusing on the rest of the psalm. Uh, you know, we've got to be careful that we don't take things out of their context, but there are some eternal truths that uh, can be used out of their context. And, and this verse that you've, uh, this truth that you've just um, indicated is one of those, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I mean, you look at the early chapters of the book of Proverbs, which talks all about wisdom and how important it is to have wisdom and understanding. And yet at the same time, here you, you have this, um, uh, this great truth. Well, the way that you begin to get wisdom is to fear God. You know, it says in the book of Proverbs that we are to fear the Lord and to shun evil because evil and sin is foolishness in the eyes of God, whereas righteousness and obedience and faithfulness is wisdom in the eyes of the Lord. So, yes, the fear of the Lord, living in awe of God, not wanting to grieve him, not wanting to disobey him or go against his word, that's the beginning of wisdom. And all who follow his precepts have good understanding. Why? Because the Word of God gives us understanding of the ways of the Lord and of His will and purpose. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 